my my last song. And oh, it was just and he and his girlfriend Alexa were just so fucking horrified, and it was just fun for me. Was I sang a couple Sinatra tunes, and then the last song I sang, and I dedicated it to him, was the Elvis American Trilogy. You familiar with it? Of course, yeah. It starts with Dixie. Oh, I wish yeah. I was in the land of cotton. Oh my God, the the horror! And it, when I and that's like when I sat down, Alexa said, "Why would you do that?" I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. Be advised, these apes are not emotional support animals, and they fling verbal poo. Listen with caution. out with an article last week that was a response to an article in the Atlantic. <laughs> Am I, is that right? It was at the Atlantic? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Atlantic. Um, so talk about that a little bit, because uh, you got pretty... I mean, you. it takes a lot to really get up under your skin for you to write a full-on fucking journalistic rebuttal of another piece. So talk a little bit about... Yeah. It yeah. was basically like a long-form comment bitch fest, but I think... I, I hope that it was smarter and calmer and more, more measured than most bitchy comments are on, on articles. Um, let me go ahead and pull it up real quick. So, yeah, I came across a story in The Atlantic, um, The Quiet Cruelty of When Harry Met Sally. So When Harry Met Sally, the, the movie, came out 30 years ago. And this article, which I say in my piece, uh, which my, my piece is called uh, The High Maintenance Problem with the Atlantics Revisiting When Harry Met Sally. The piece is well-written. Like, she's a perfectly fine writer, and I get her point, but her point is that the the movie coined the phrase high maintenance when Harry is talking to Sally, like the kind of woman... There, there's two women in the world, he says. There's low maintenance and there's high maintenance. Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca, according to Harry, is low maintenance. Sally is high maintenance. She's like, what? How am I high maintenance? And he goes, and he like recreates her ordering a salad, you know, yeah, yeah, this exactly. on the side, blah, 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 blah. So that's, that's it. So, but since that movie has come out, there's like this whole thing, like, oh, she's high maintenance and how high maintenance are you? And this, and it talks about that, like in this negative way of how women judge themselves and how men put them in a box and, and it's unfair. And I get that argument, totally get that argument. Except that my problem was that that's putting way too much importance and blowing the high maintenance, the joke, that one line, that one little scene, blowing it way out of proportion and giving it way too much credence. Megan Garber, the, the author, she, ta- she talks about it as like a backlash against feminism, which I just don't think it is. Well, and no, I, okay. I, I, this thing is I, and the thing is what what makes the joke funny, and that's what that's what that's how jokes work. I mean, everybody says there's a little truth in in you know truth in comedy kind of thing. Yeah, the reason it's funny is because it's fucking true. You know, well, that's why it's funny. It's not funny because they said, "Hey, let's." And and by the way, Nora Ephron wrote that fucking movie. Right. 
So so it's yeah. not like unless Nora Ephron is a self-loathing feminist, probably not. Well, like and that that was probably not the fucking agenda. Right. And I and I talk about this in my piece yeah. that Nora Ephron wrote the piece and it was concepted or conceived out of uh um Rob Reiner's single life as an older like he had been married to Penny Marshall, they got a divorce and he's back in the dating world and the weirdness of it all. Nora Ephron created these characters by talking to her friends. Like these are characters based yeah, on these real are based people. on actual re- real people. And, <clears throat> and Billy Joel, Billy Joel, Billy Crystal, Billy Joel. Yeah, that Billy, would be Billy That'd Crystal. Be a terrible movie if it had been Billy Joel. Not because right? he's not great, but he's probably not a great actor. Is my guess. Well, and Billy Joel is the you know Rob Reiner, Billy Crystal, like perfect baby boomer uh, uh, icons, right? And Billy yeah. Joel is right there. I mean, Billy Joel's been jerking off to the baby boomer uh, nostalgia before it before was even it nostalgia, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, the, the, the Billy Crystal ju- uh, Trump, or punched up the, a lot of the jokes because they just, Harry, the character, Harry's character wasn't funny enough. He was too much of a misanthrope and kind of a, a, a bummer because Harry is an asshole. Yeah, Harry's like, kind he's, of a dick. He's a dick. And that's... The movie, the movie is, uh, if you look at the movie, the, and that's what I love about the structure of the movie is the movie starts, it starts and, and it has interspersed those yeah. here are couples talking about their first time when they met kind of thing. Yeah, yep. That's, you know, and... And those and, are actual know, interviews that Efron yeah. was conducting to get yeah. to the... To get to, the to, get to these characters, yeah. And yeah. so this is really, like, you already know they get together. You're, yeah, you know, and so that's part of it. But this is sort of the evolution. This is sort of... I'd like, talk about the opposite of anti-feminism. This is about a man who is obviously not feminist and is on some latent way misogynist right. who, through knowing this woman and befriending her and falling in love with her, eventually realizes, oh, I'm a dick and I can't be a dick anymore if I want to be with someone I love. And, right. And, and, and that's, that's the, if you want to you know, kind of back away and kind of be meta about a fucking you know, boomer comedy, which is right. one of the funniest comedies ever made. It's a great is, movie. Yeah, is that you? Is that is that the arc is Harry's kind of a lonely dick, and he's lonely on per. It's it's his problem. It's his it's, choices yep. that make him lonely. Yep, and it is his. It, in, in terms of, and that's also part of the joke, is while Sally is high maintenance just as a person because mm-hmm. of the salad ordering and all that kind yeah. of shit. Harry is high maintenance when it comes to relationships. Yes. And he doesn't see that. He does not recognize that when he's having that conversation. And if you're watching the same movie I watch, mm-hmm. then what you see is a man who's kind of a misanthropic dickweed, very funny one, mm-hmm. basically sort of, you know, like evolving into an adult that can see a woman as That's exactly not only right. his equal, not only his equal, but as someone he wants to spend his life with. And like and it's not like he lowered his standards. He realized that his standards weren't fair, right? And, and he that's answers what the, the about. and he answers the question: Can men and women be friends with each other? One, yes, and two, yeah. without sex ruining it. Ultimately, yes, because they yeah. have a friendship that the relationship is built upon. So, and the the, the author of the the Atlantic piece, Garber, she says at one point that you know Harry's the one that makes the change. Harry has the character arc. Nothing happens to Sally. Sally doesn't grow at all, and. I don't completely agree with that, but to your point that you just said, like it is Harry's journey, yeah, and that's okay because it was Rob Reiner's creation. Yeah. This is the point of view he's telling it from. That's fine, and Harry learns and grows, 
and it all's el- well that ends well because he falls in love with her despite that dig about her being high maintenance with the salad well, ordering and no, whatever else. No, the thing is, it's that's the thing. He doesn't fall in love with her despite of it. He falls in love with her because of or it. Or because of it. That's what I meant. Yes, because of yeah, it. Yeah, he falls in love with her. Right. In, in his mind, it's a perceived flaw, but as he realizes that flaw is something that he loves in her. And the other, the other thing, and I, I don't think I discussed this exactly in my piece, but with that comment where he says, she says, which kind am I? He says, you're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. So he's not even saying that high maintenance is necessarily a bad thing. He's saying that it's kind of bad when you don't realize, when you don't have self-awareness. Well, and, and this, that's and I was, like the dig. Yeah. Apart from the your, her piece and your piece, which I read and I loved both, um, I didn't love hers just because it made me annoyed, but yeah. whatever. It's yeah. well written, like you said. Um, the thing about it is, and going back to the comedy, there are high-maintenance women, and there are high-maintenance women who don't realize it and are even worse because of it. I, I spent four years with a woman who had decided on some level that she was a, I mean, she's Asian, so you know she's Korean. So of course she's a person of color, but she identified with all these marginalized and victimized women of color, but she grew up in fucking Buffalo Grove with her surgeon father and her doctor mother <laughs> yeah. and was a fucking, and was a fucking cheerleader and would not even think twice about spending $500 on a pair of like thigh high boots, which looked very sexy on her, but sure. that's not the point. You know, she could was, be. She was the, uh, but when you would call, when I would call her on, like, like I would, I don't think I used the term high maintenance, but I was like, Jesus Christ, do you understand? Do you see the dichotomy in that you try to use the victimization mm-hmm. of the most marginalized, but you have financially been so privileged your whole life, yeah, and you're beautiful, and you know, and you just spend money like it was fucking water that you don't get to claim that and be this. You understand right. that, and that's the same. It's the same argument, right? Right, and well, I just didn't fall in love with her because of it. In fact, I broke up with her in large part just because of it. I was like, and hey, no, I can't be around this person. I've I've dated high maintenance women, and I, look, I've I, there's plenty of shit about me that's high maintenance. I, oh yeah, I'm well aware of that. Katie, I mean, you know, Katie has to take me into the dealer, you know, two times a month to get my my oil changed. Like I oh, yeah. I get it, um, but I've broken up with high maintenance women not because they're high maintenance but because they're assholes about their maintenance yeah even if they were assholes about being low maintenance it's because they were jerks so here's here's what i write in in the piece here's just a a quick bit high maintenance doesn't have to be a bad thing owning a boat requires high maintenance and i love owning a boat being a parent to a toddler requires high maintenance and i love being a parent to a toddler flying a plane driving a race car being a professional athlete at the top of your game all things that are high maintenance There are those who don't want to deal with that sort of stuff, and that's perfectly okay. Driving a Honda Civic while wearing a baseball hat because you didn't style your hair is pretty low maintenance. And there's nothing wrong with that. As it relates to Sally being high maintenance, Garber misses the fact that there's a difference between being high maintenance and being difficult. So that, like, she just orders her salad. She wants it the way she wants it. Put the (laughs) shit on the side. Whatever. Fine. She's not a dick. What's the big deal? It's not a bad thing. And I think that's what she's missing. Like, if, and ultimately, what I determine in the piece is that if you're letting a throwaway line or a a joke in a movie become a definition or a box to put women in, and you think that it's a bad or or men, I don't care to put people in. Well, that's on you. It's a fucking movie. Like, take it easy. 
Well, you, you know? quoted you you quoted I won't I won't uh, I won't say who you quoted uh, not too long ago uh, because I don't want to out him unless he doesn't want to be outed. But I love the phrase. Modern feminism is turning me into a misogynist. Yeah. I, you know, and it's, it, it's you know, I, I thought about that because it's like, yeah, I don't think it's turning me into a misogynist, but boy, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm getting more and more like, well, Dana and I were talking not too long ago. It was like, uh, she called me a bleeding heart conservative. And I don't think I'm, the, I'm conservative in any stripe. I really don't see myself as being very conservative. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. But, um, and, and and one of the things that uh, Kremitis, uh put a line in some one of these fucking Facebook debates that once in a while I get involved in, um, Kremitis got pissed off at me and, yeah. and decided he was going to stab me. And his stab was the only reason I'm hard on the the, the SJWs is because the storytelling fucking assholes shit all over me. All of my storytelling friends believe their bullshit. And so now I'm pissed off and I've just gone that direction where I just am pissed off at anything they do. Yeah. And at first I dismissed it, but I, I had to think about it. It's like, no, no, there's actually an element of, of real truth to that. Yeah, there's a trigger it, because it's like, you it's know. like, it's like you, you, at the end of a long day, if you have a bad day, like little things along the way just get annoying and annoying and annoying and you just yeah. kind of get worn out. So by the end, like when the battery in the remote control, you just want to go home and watch some fucking TV and the remote control battery is dead. And you're just like, fuck, god damn. It's not the battery that pisses you off that much. It's the culmination of everything. So, like, yeah. the storytelling stuff, they've just worn on you. And it's, yeah, it, it's well, a you know, tender it was, nerve. You know, it, and it was, you know, it was one of those things. And like I said, I just think it's very funny that I had to really think about the concept of, okay, am I, am I really as frustrated at sort of the far left because people that identified, mm -hmm. I put quotes in that, um, as far left, shit all over me in Chicago. Um, and so my reaction to that is then to shit all over anybody that identifies in that regard. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll admit, there's probably a little bit of truth to that. I won't dismiss that most of my arguments, I think, are sound, and my yeah. perspective is sound, but I would say that some of the motivating factor is sort of like, you know, Garber is she's watching when Harry met Sally and she's looking for an anti-feminist bent. I, th yeah, so I think so. She, she does say it. she loves the movie. She talks about well, how great the movie, the movie is. And, she's yeah. looking, she's, she's watching it through the lens of, I want to find yeah. the anti-feminism in this because it's not fair that it's about this guy instead of this woman, you know? And, and it'll make a good story. And I get that. That's, and that's yeah, fine. And, it, and I, and, but it, it's I don't not think fine. she's wrong. The thing well, is, it's not fine because what it is is it's, and I guess it's a culture piece. So it's it's. An well, I mean, it's it's fine to like look at. I mean, to look. I mean, shit. You, you've done, the um, the eighties uh, revisiting. What yeah, was, problematic, what, problematic problematic movies of the eighties. It's the same idea. Like you're going yeah. back. Does this thing? It's just taken from a different approach. Yeah. And yeah, when you look at something that's thirty years old with the lens of today, it's you're going to catch things. You're going to look be like, oh. That is this, and now we've got 30 years, it shows us this high-maintenance thing and its effect on the culture over 30 years, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing, is that if you're... There are problems out there with the way women are written in movies. And a lot of them reside with Meg Ryan romantic comedies. <laughs> Meg Ryan <coughs> and her romantic comedies have done more to hurt 
women and and the dating world. And I would argue that Sex in the City, that that series did the same thing to put men and women in boxes and make it harder for us to date honestly. But like if you look at honest, just, let's, let's do you really at, think it's Meg Ryan movies or maybe that just always been that fucking way cuz that's just how we our brains operate. We always put ourselves in boxes. That's what we do. We put ourselves it's in boxes. Sp- yeah, but if we write these really to protect ourselves. We that's we, that's why we stereotype is it is a way of trying to process a world that is so much more vast and much more complicated and so much gray area that we have to put people in boxes or it's just too much for us to take in. Well, yeah, but like let's let's look at the movie You've Got Mail, which I have not seen in a very long time and it wasn't very okay. good. And I know it was a remake. I from, thought it was fine. I but mean, it was like, the same. Yeah, it's just here's, a remake of a 1950s sort of uh, screwball comedy. Yeah. And but here's the problem with with you've got mail specifically. So, if you remember the plot, Tom Hanks is owns a bookstore conglomerate, billionaire big bookstore. Meg Ryan, her character has a tiny little independent bookstore that was her grandmother's and then her mother's, and she wanted to pass it on to her kid and all that shit. And it's this quaint yeah. little children's bookstore. And Tom Hanks's character and company come in, and they're gonna they're competition. This is 1998. Yeah. They're going to buy it up. So this is when like Borders and Walden Books were buying up, you know, they were running the little mom and pop stores out of business. Sure. While this is happening, and Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks hate each other, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, yeah. They're enemies. But they're, of course, falling in love See, over the internet. They don't realize that I'm... While you're telling me the story, I realize, oh, I'm thinking of Sleepless in Seattle, which is basically, it's a different movie. It's the same thing. Yeah, so I mean, keep that, going, cause I that movie's, you got mail. that movie's weird too, but I, yeah, whatever, well, I mean, but, they're both weird, but they both have this sort of like internet confusion. Well, Sleepless in Seattle, like she's listening to a radio show and she falls in love with M- M- Sleepless in Seattle. That's his call, call sign is Sleepless in Seattle. Like they, you know, they're listening to a Delilah show, a Delilah type show. Yeah. And like his wife is dead and he, he's lonely. So he... Yeah, and so she, they meet. I don't, I don't remember the details of that because I thought that was fucking stupid too. But anyway, so you've got mail. So they're, but they end up in this chat room, and they fall in love with each other in the chat room. But they don't realize that one is the other person. Of course, they find out, and there's you know the hijinks happen, and ultimately, Meg Ryan's store has to close, is bought out. The Fox Books comes in and takes over. So. And then Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks end up together. And it's like, oh, what a happy ending. Except that her fucking livelihood and her family business is gone. Like, yeah. what the fuck kind of woman? Why? Why? What What kind of person allows that to happen to her and stays with the guy? Like, I know it's just business. It's just capitalistic America, fine. But no. Like, why wouldn't he leave her bookstore alone if he loves her? You know, there's all these, like, yeah. these are awful people. So I've I've always wanted to do like a, um, like a sketch show or something where we call like <laughs> after, after the credits roll, yeah, where it's like yeah. these romantic comedies where they just end on this happy note and you forget about the reality of the relationship. So like fast forward six months after the last scene of You've Got Mail, and Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are sitting at the breakfast table and he's reading the paper and she's reading her paper, and he says, "Sweetie, could you pass me the orange juice?" And she just kind of like with attitude just like scoots it to him and he's like what's what's going on babe what's what's the matter she goes you fucking ran me out of business you fucking dick what the fuck you know and she like finally comes undone and breaks up with him and storms out of the house and because he's a fucking asshole but that doesn't happen because all that matters is love all women want is a man who pays attention to them 
forget the thing that they want. Like, it's fucking stupid. It's a horrible, horrible character in a horrible, horrible movie. Joe versus the Volcano is the best Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. But but that, I don't know. That's that's just me. So yeah, this this I, I love When Harry Met Sally. Um, I love everything about it. I love Bruno Kirby. I love Carrie Fisher. I love their character development. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Harry's a dick and then learns his lesson and that's that's great. And, and you know, whether whether he learned his lesson or not, it's still a funny movie and calm the fuck down. Right. Was A Quiet Place inspired by Signs It Comes at Night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Can we no longer say somebody's batshit crazy? Uh, it's offensive to bats. Well, yeah, I mean, beyond that, it's like, because it, at this point, if a woman or a man, it's offensive I guess, to guano, but, really. But it's more, it's more specific when it comes to a woman. If a woman goes off on complete lunatic behavior, and you say she's crazy, then all you're doing is gaslighting her. And and yeah, the I don't thing think about that that's is, fair. Oh, I don't think I think it's bullshit. Because crazy some is women, crazy. Because some some women and some men. This is not plenty of men are women, batshit crazy, but are just fucking nuts. And you know the high maintenance thing aside, are fucking pathological. And to assume that just because they're women, then they're more emotional. If you want to go that sort of bo- that kind of box you want to put them in the reality is people are fucking nuts so we're it, it, you have to have like a, a like a, a psychologist you know a diagnosis to say yeah this person's actually fucking completely crazy and has crazy become only limited it has crazy which used to be a huge term that kind of described behavior as well as medical diagnosis has as opposed to racism or misogyny or anything else or white privilege, that is just expanded and expanded, expanded to include anything anybody wants it to be, has crazy been now reduced to only the medical diagnosis? I don't think it has. Um, I don't. I think it, it. There's a push to get it there. But then I would think that they wouldn't use the term crazy as a medical diagnosis. They would use insane, clinically yeah, well, they, insane. They, or, you know, they don't even use insane. Insane's the, cra- even, the crazy would be the second C word that we can't say anymore. Well, you know what? I'm going to say it. I just, and I, it's like I, think, I think it's stupid. I think people are when people act crazy, men, women, old, young, I, transgender, I don't give a shit. If you're being crazy, you're being fucking crazy. Well, but, and the and other you thing need is, to be called on it. I've been, I'm batshit crazy sometimes. Fucking call yeah. me on it. I get it. Exactly. Well, well going, back, going back to your, your, your concept that high maintenance isn't necessarily a bad thing, I will also say that crazy is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a it bad thing. It can be, sure. Because most, most artists that I know are on some level, I mean, if you were to introduce them in polite society... You get some fucking eyebrow raises, you know. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like oh wow, Cleveland Dean. I don't know if you ever met Cleveland. But he's an artist. I love that guy. Yeah. 
you actually have met him before, but I don't know if you remember the name. But uh, he's a great artist. One of the he's one of the guys that uh, was like I met him when Dana and I were dating on those three dates. We met him on our second date. So when I say when Dana and I are dating, it really only encompassed about three weeks. So, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> the better um, part but, of a month. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, he's if you were, you know you put him in a room full of straights, and he's fucking nuts. And it's kind of like you look at Hunter S. Thompson, you kind of expect mm -hmm. artists to be a little unhinged because that's kind of the, that's to be an artist, you kind of got to be a little nuts. Yeah. And so the question becomes not the crazy part. They're like, oh, they're acting so weird. They're so off the charts. They're so out of the box. They're crazy. Mm -hmm. That's not the stuff you got to look out for. You got to look out for the kind of crazy that lurks underneath. Yeah. And, and can pose, you know, like a pathology that ends up posing danger to relationships, to people, to reputations, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and so I don't think crazy is necessarily a bad thing, but man, if you say somebody's, if you say somebody's crazy when you mean they're fucking lunatic. Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, maybe, maybe it's just about defining your terms more clearly. But, and that's just it, is that the, defining your terms and like intention that's the issue. When you, I mean, every word could be offensive if you're looking for it. And th I think that's, yeah. that's the, 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 the core of what we're talking about here is that people go looking for shit to be upset about and finding things that might be there, might, might find some evidence of offensive stuff that's there, but it's like a nugget. And, you know, when they turn it into a huge, uh, gigantic cookie cake rather than just a single yeah. chocolate chip. Yeah, what the well, hell I mean, kind of analogy was that? I don't know what that. Well, <laughs> anyway, it's a weird analogy, oh, but it's sort of like it's sort of, it reminds me. I dated a, a woman named Diana. I'm not going to say her last name, but uh, I dated her. She, I met her after the Moth. She was a Moth fan, which automatically says, "You pick me up at the Moth." Yeah, I'm the host. Okay, She's maybe. star fucking. Yeah, you know there was there was definitely an element of that, but you yeah, know, we met totally hit it off. Great chemistry. Um, you know banging dating we're digging each other but there's something kind of off right mm -hmm. you know and i'm again i'm not like oh you're you're fucking weird because artists are weird yeah you know and i was like okay she's got this weirdness does this weirdness fit with my weirdness that kind of thing well then i discover like after our fourth or fifth date that her mother had died the night before we hooked up oh god and once she told me that then it became, I want you to know, you know, I want you to know all this. I want to, I want you to help me process this. You're a part of my recovery kind of shit. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't want to, this is crazy. And it's not like she was crazy. It's uh. like, that like, like this situation, you're, you're in a place where yeah. mentally and emotionally, this is going to go badly for both of us, but I, but I can only look out for myself and it's like, this is going to go really badly for me. Yeah. And so, you know, I broke up with her and I tried to be as straightforward and I didn't say it's, you know, I just said, hey, listen, I don't think now's the right time for you and I to date because you're going through a whole lot of grief mm -hmm. and, and, and that's going to bring up a whole lot of issues. And, that, and I said, I know. What the fuck are you doing over there? Katie is a printing something, apparently. Yeah, well, she's fucking up the recording because now I'm going to hear his goddamn printing noises. It doesn't look like it's that loud on the thing here. 
Yeah, well, all right. Okay, well. So it might any, just it might just be the computer that's picking it up more. If anybody listening is wondering what the fuck that yeah. is, you can blame Katie uh, for for printing while David was recording. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I, you know, I, I let her down. That was the thing is I thought I was letting her down nicely. And I'm just like, listen, I don't think this is going to go well because... I know I, you know, you're, you're going to take your grief and certain things are going to get assigned to me and I'm going to be there to that you're going to replace those sort of missing feelings with me. Throw that fucking thing out the window. Um, and then things aren't going to go well, so I don't think we should date anymore. Yeah. And she, that's when she went crazy. Yeah. She fucking like threw shit at me, was furious, kept she came over to my house at like three o'clock in the morning, like four or five times, trying to get, you know, get me to respond and, you know, explain myself mm-hmm. and talk me back into being it's like, what the fuck? And then it was at the time I had the motorcycle. Then she went out, she keyed my motorcycle and flattened my Jesus tires. Jesus Christ. You know, it's like, okay, now here's the thing. It's not gaslighting if I call her in that moment doing those things. A fucking lunatic. She's not. It's not gaslighting to say she's crazy because she was fucking nuts. You're stating a fact. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Is like, yeah. but you know, anybody that you know, once she got over that crazy, because it's not permanent crazy. Once she right. kind of got past that, and then it just became abject hatred for me. Yeah. Then anybody that wanted to hear the story, all they they didn't hear. Oh, because it's not like Diana would go. Okay, I dated this guy. He turned out to be an asshole, and my way of dealing with him being an asshole is that I stalked him for about three weeks, and then I uh, keyed his motorcycle and flattened his tires. She didn't lead with that shit. She leads with, he's such a fucking asshole, uh, my mom died and he broke up with me. Which then, I'm the biggest asshole in the world because her mom died, and then I broke up with her. To, it's like, no, she's it's, nuts. Yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not You're how crazy. Goes. Although there's nothing crazy about having abstract hatred for you. Well, no. Many people have abject hatred for me, as you know. It's as as Kremitis pointed out. Yeah. Uh, I piss people <laughs> off, and uh, I don't. You know, and and you know, the thing about it is, it it used to be something I did on purpose. Yeah. Like I loved pissing people off on purpose. It was just fun, and I don't provoke like I used to. And now I I really I, and that's what his sort of his real, you know, like beat was was that uh that i talk a lot about communicating clearly and being persuasive but because my language is so direct Mm -hmm. because i don't go with the soft sell i go right to the point yeah that it pisses people off which means i'm not persuading and it was like that's you know and i I, I, that's what i told him initially i dismissed his stuff but i went you know what all right he's my friend Mm -hmm. and he's doing what he's doing to me what i do to everybody else which is i'm gonna give you the hard thing yeah and I dismissed it, and I went. So I came back at him a couple of days later. And said, "Can you tell me, tell me exactly how you put that? Because that was not cool to you because you were being an honest friend, and mm-hmm. it was not very good for me because I wasn't really self-reflecting on a criticism that I got from a friend." And so then he started saying, saying the same thing but in nicer ways. Uh huh. And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Remember, you were pissed off at yeah, me. Come at me, Say- bro." Yeah, say it the way you said it then when you were pissed at me because this is all giving me excuses and I don't need the excuses. I need that hard line. So he went in and got the hard line. Yeah. I was like, all right, that's what I needed to hear so I can really reflect on that. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I don't, I don't have a problem with people thinking I'm an asshole. I still once in a while will go to provoke as an example. And you haven't heard it yet. Um, but uh, when the bug house 
uh, number 26 Vegas show podcast goes up. Yeah. Um, I will just, I, I will, just, I think I told you this, but I will tell you as a, as a <laughs> teaser, my decision, I was arguing identity politics, empowering or destroying the left against Chimmy Hernandez. I will tell you that Chimmy won. I'm glad she won. Um, but what I decided to do was uh, to retell the story of Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and the Tar Baby um, with the vein of that Br'er Rabbit was Pelosi, oh, Br'er Fox was Donald Trump, and the Tar Baby were the squad. And I did it as Uncle Remus. <laughs> All right, chill, zip it do da. I did. That's what I did, and it. I mean, the looks like the thing about it is sometimes I get in that provoking mood, and that was definitely. I mean, it it, it left some people in the room a little jaw smacked. It was like, what the fuck? Wow. But then, again, when I was like, I'm gonna be provocative. Uh, we ended up uh, at, at the bunkhouse after the show. After bunkhouse, they have karaoke. And so we stuck around and did karaoke. And Pearson Brown, who is uh, an infrequent, but, you know, a writer for Littered Ape, he was doing the show, and he was in the audience, and he is the wokest of woke. Yeah. You know, he's just one of those guys. I get it. I actually really like talking to him, but it is like talking to a brick wall, because he has already made his mind up (laughs) that the world's shit, and only the left and far left wokeness is going to save the world. like, oh, grow up. But he will. So I get that. That's condescending, but it's true. But uh, just because he was in the room, that I knew he was so offended by my Uncle Remus thing. <laughs> my my last song, and oh, it was just, and he and his girlfriend, Alexa, were just so fucking horrified, and it was just fun for me, was I sang a couple Sinatra tunes, and then the last song I sang, and I dedicated it to him, was the Elvis American Trilogy. You familiar with it? Of course, yeah. It starts with Dixie. Oh, I wish yeah. I was in the land of cotton. Oh my God, the the horror! And it, when I and that's like when I sat down, Alexa said, "Why would you do that?" It was oh, she was so fucking offended, and it was just like, "God damn it, that's funny." Uh, so oh my there's God, still, there's still enough of me that likes to say, "Yeah, I'm gonna poke that bear" because it's kind of fun for me. It is fun but to not poke as, the bear sometimes, but not as much as I used to. But it's also like poking the bear for fun like in in good um good nature well there's versus the poking the bear to that, piss the bear off so you can kill it yeah yeah i'm not trying to piss anybody off so i kill it but i just yeah. but that's the thing is part of it is that at this point my experience again i'm a 53 year old white guy i get it mm-hmm. you know i'm not a part of the new world i'm not going to be a part of the new world i have no interest in being part of the new world I, yeah my time has passed i guess in terms of that but there is, I, I find, especially the furthest left, the woke. Uh, and mm-hmm. at this point, I'm not even going to call them SGT. I'm just going to say the woke. Yeah. Because at this point, the woke are like born-again Christians. I just, except they're not pissed off at you all the time. I mean, if like a born-again Christian came I don't up know. Went, well, some of them are, like the evangelicals. If they came up and said... Oh, the born-agains aren't pissy all yeah, the time. Yes, born-again, right, yeah, right, right, right. I thought you were saying like, the woke if, weren't. And I'm like, uh, yeah, they no, are. No, the woke yeah. are all pissed off. The woke, yeah. the, the woke are sort of like the, the kind of uh, born-again Christians that instead of saying, do you have a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> well, let me share this with you. That's not the woke. 
Right. That's what they think they're doing. Really, they're more like the born again that comes up and says, do you know Jesus Christ? No, you're fucking going to hell, you fucking sinning piece of shit. That's the woke. They are the, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Phelps. The Fred Phelps, Phelps Church. Fred, Fred Phelps. Phelps. They're the Fred Phelps of... people. They got uh, AIDS, yeah. cures, fags, yeah. signs. Yeah, they're, 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 just, they're those just, people. Uh, they just adopted Rage, that, hatred. That hateful, yeah. 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 But uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. We got so off on that, but that was a good... I like that analogy. Um, <laughs> no, but that's the thing. is one of the things I find about the woke that Since is... The next I time think, you get balled out by a woke person, be like, okay, Fred Phelps. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, well, that's what my point is. Like, one of the reasons I like to poke fun, more than any other reason, and it's, it's the same reason in the 80s and 90s I like to make fun of the right. Mm-hmm is they don't have any fucking sense of humor about themselves. Right. It's not that they don't have a sense of humor. It's that they have no sense of humor about themselves. That is a quality that I despise most in people, yeah. is if you do not have a sense of humor about yourself, get fucked. And, I, and my problem is, this is a, a, a flaw in me, is that I see that in people, and then I go after it. I'm exactly. like a, I'm see, like a wolf on the hunt. Like I go for the weak and the sick and the old. Yeah. And let me let me go let me sing Dixie. Let me sing fucking American trilogy just to fucking make fun of you and so I can laugh. And I did. I laughed my ass off. They yeah. were not laughing. They were mortified. <laughs> Especially on the night that white guy did the Uncle Remus impression. I mean, it was uh, quite the night to remember. I yeah. you know, it's like yeah. I don't know if they'll ever talk to me again. You know, I hope they do cuz I like but it's like, you know what? You humorous wags, let's go. Yeah. You know. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's, I, I think there's a lack of humor. There's, there's an inability to see what crazy actually is. Or, it, or maybe they see it and they just won't acknowledge it because it weakens their stance. Mm-hmm. But crazy is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, if you, if, you, if you look at early Charlie Manson, who's sort of like an avatar of the craziest we have, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, even in prison, he just kind of was just, just like He's watching kooky. a rambly yeah. fucking nut. Yeah. But in his earliest days, he was a guitar player. Yeah. And a singer. And he hung out with Brian Wilson. He was a, he was a tertiary beach boy to some he, extent. Exactly. Yeah, I mean. He was like this hippie who was just sort of charmingly crazy. I mean, he yeah. was crazy in the way we see uh-huh. artists. Uh-huh. But what they didn't see was that there was some real fucking crazy under there. Like yeah. some real fucking crazy and they didn't recognize it until it was fucking too late and he yeah. brainwashed a bunch of women to kill people i mean it's yeah. like okay he's nuts I, I mean i think that like maybe people don't like to be called crazy because trump is crazy and it likens them to trump because I, I think, think trump cra- is crazy i don't think he's i don't think trump is crazy i think trump's oh, an asshole that's it but yes he and is an asshole 70, but I, and he's a seventy-year-old asshole, which maybe maybe he's like a little, you know. I mean, I think part of part of all of our hatred of like, let's look at movies that came out thirty years ago, is a relitigation of the eighties, which is a relitigation of the Reagan era. Yeah. And Reagan was a conservative old man who, in the last six years of his or last three years of his presidency, was in dementia. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I think that Trump is crazy because he's he's not connected to the reality. The, even the immediate reality of what he says one minute and then the next minute turns around and says the exact opposite or, or denies 
the facts when they're right in front of him. I think that that's a level of crazy. It's it's a combination well, of crazy and asshole. If that's a level of crazy, then most of the Me Too feminists are just as crazy as he is. I mean, the bottom line is like, oh, all I see talking about anti, you know, like, like here's a room full of nothing but white guys making laws that prohibit my body. You know what? The same group of white men, maybe not the same guys, but it was just mostly a group of white men who approved Roe v. Wade. Yeah. It was a whole bunch of white men that made slavery illegal. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's not about the fact that they're white men, but if you can't see that, does that make them crazy or just self-selecting? And I think Trump is self-selecting based on a worldview that he believes. All right. That's fair. But I, you know, I, but yeah, I still think that that's a level of. Well, it's a level of. Crazy, I think that's a level of crazy. It's not like crazy medically, you know. It's no, a, no, no, it's no, 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 no. Like, it's not. Yeah, it's not, it's not died clinically. Crazy. Right. Yeah, it's not Twenty Fifth Amendment crazy. It's just he's the guy's a little wacko. Uh, I'm excited, but probably not as excited, judging by the tone in your voice and the look on your face. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as excited as I was for Endgame. Okay. Yeah, I'm not that yeah. excited yet, but. I mean, because you know, it's like I love. There's. I, it's just because I was really thinking about this is what I love about Tarantino. Tarantino found a really sweet spot with his filmmaking in that he basically borrows all these ideas and images from nostalgia from like, Mm -hmm. so he really taps into our nostalgic thing, but then creates something completely unique at the same time. So Mm -hmm. it's a thing that's brand new and original that makes us feel like we've seen it before. And then it just has, amazing sparkling dialogue with lots of inwards you know right. <laughs> you know i mean it's like it's like yeah so what's your favorite what's your favorite tarantino movie uh you know i was thinking about this the other day because our friends over at uh uh awesome movie your podcast we're talking about pulp fiction okay so the conversation you know was 45 minutes about tarantino and pulp fiction i pro- probably pulp fiction I really love Kill Bill. I love Kill Bill one and two. But I, I think I gotta go with Pulp Fiction. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Pulp Fiction is definitely. I can't decide if Pulp Fiction's my favorite. I mean, it is like one of the most quotable movies ever made in history. It it's just like it the has Simpsons everything. Yeah, of great movies. Yeah, you know, where every line is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know it wasn't as as popular. It's probably, and in fact, it's the only one that he was he did as an adaptation. But I think my favorite Tarantino film is, film is Jackie Brown. Get out! Come on, you're not serious. I really, I really think Jackie Brown is just. It's just got a. The thing about it is, this is the thing about it because I, I love every Tarantino movie. I love them all. I mean, they're but, all good, but, a ter- but what I Jackie love, Brown was a turd, though. Oh, you're so wrong. I need to re- rewatch it. I did not think about it is, like is that movie is, at all. Is most of most of Tarantino movies are very clever, mm-hmm. and they they deal in a lot of very funny rage. Yeah, you know. But the the emotional basis of most Tarantino movies are Tarantino sitting in the back of the corner saying, Haha, "Get it? I wrote that." <laughs> Do you get yeah. it? I wrote that. I wrote that. That's funny, right? You know who? Do, you know who does a great Tarantino? Brian Sweeney can oh, do like Tarantino, Tarantino perfect. So yeah. It's it's but, amazing. Yeah, but Jackie Brown has an emotional center that most of his movies do not have, which is a genuine huh. love story 
between Pam Greer and Robert Forrester. Those two characters. That's yeah. The basis of that movie is this sort of, like, this longing that they both have. And part of it is she needs him. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is he needs someone like her. And there's this this love story that's kind of developing and this longing that they have. And it's very human. And mm-hmm. it's very soulful. And it still has, you know, the bad guys. It still has Samuel L. Jackson. It still has, I think Bridget yeah. Fonda is fucking brilliant in that movie, which I can't say I've ever said out loud to anybody about Bridget Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, she's brilliant yeah. in that movie. And so I, you know, that, I look at that movie and that, that movie has more heart than any other Tarantino film. Because every other Tarantino film is sort of like, look at the gimmick, look at the craziness, and I'm going to play it out in this really interesting way. Okay. All right. I, but, I, I need to rewatch it. I'll give you that. But yeah. you don't think that Kill Bill had heart? Kill Bill had heart, but it was a revenge fantasy. So it wasn't like this softer... There was no love. There was no love in Kill Bill. When she realizes, by the way, spoiler alert for a 16-year-old movie, or however old it is, um, when she sees her daughter... Yeah, okay, there's... That changes everything. No, it doesn't change everything, because she still kills him. Yes, but it changes... So there's no transformation for her. But but again, I think it's a cinematic... There is a transformation. Well, I think it's she's got to finish it. She's going to go back to well, not yeah. being a killer anymore. I think you know, you know that's things. I think there's a cinematic homage to emotion, but it did not make me feel. I saw her have the emotion, but I did not feel the emotion myself. And I think a great film makes you feel something. And what I love about Jackie Brown that is not in there. It's not in there in Django Unchained. It's not there in Inglorious Bastards. It's not there in Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. Is yeah. is this like I watched? I watched Jackie Brown, and I've watched it uh, since then many times. And I watch Robert Forrester, and he's lonely, mm-hmm. and he's very cut and dry. But he sees her, and like there's this moment where he's talking about his albums. Yeah, yeah, and and you see this 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 sad sort of like not like not feeling sorry for himself, but oh, here's here's someone. That I could that I could spend every day of the rest of my life with, yeah. And she yeah. feels it for him, but she's also too pragmatic, and she's too pragmatic because she's a black woman, and black women have to be more pragmatic in the world because they they literally are societally treated more <clears throat> shitty than anybody. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So and I think, and it, like I said, it's the only adaptation. It's a No More Leonard story. It's the only adaptation he ever did. But I think it's the one with the most heart and soul. So it is my favorite Tarantino movie. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to rewatch it then. Because yeah, I think I, you should rewatch it. Because I just think it's a beautiful. The music. It's all. It's got all the hallmarks of a great Tarantino film. With that added sort of sauce of, oh my god. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like when I watch that movie and I know how it is. Yeah. I know how the movie goes. I still, in the middle of that movie, every time I watch it, so desperately want to see them get together. Yeah. I want to see them just, all this shit, I want to see them get through all this shit and just be together because they so desperately want to be. See, and that's how When Harry Met Sally should have ended. With us wanting them to get together, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it didn't end that way. Well, then it doesn't make because it because they sold out for it. Hollywood. 
Well, then it makes it a tragedy. And well, you've got Annie Hall. Okay. You've got Annie yeah. Hall. They didn't. I mean, that's but that's true. And I, I discussed that a bit. In the piece, you, but yeah, I, Annie Annie Hall. You didn't want them to stay together. I wanted them to. No, they just, no, no, no. But they just you quit. watch that movie. You watch that movie. What you get to see is how he behaves around her when he's with her. All you really want to see then is what happens when he loses her. You don't want to see him get back together because you've already seen him together. You already know how he behaves that way. You would have seen him to work that thing. Yeah. Well, I'm saying that like it would have been nice. Like, oh, if you guys could have just figured out your shit or had been different. If you'd been different people, it would have worked out. You know. I, sure. Sure. Whatever. Uh, and that's how you bring it around, I guess. That's how you you tie it up. That's what we call the herald. All right, Simeon cohort. Here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. My uh, first thing. It's a it's a two parter. Uh, it's a read. First so you're read. Four things. Well, it, 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 shut up. So uh, I get three and you get four? All right, oh go God. with your fucking two-parter. <laughs> go with your two-parter, you cheater. It's read the article in the New Yorker that came out last week uh, called The Case of Al Franken, which pulls him out of hiding, so to speak, and it discusses it, his side of the sexual ab- abuse allegations like, story, fu- whatever. long, long overdue. Yeah. yeah. And then the other th- the reason it's a two-parter is because there's a Slate article... Oh, fuck those guys. That counters, it says, what, uh, what is her name? Uh, I can't read my handwriting. Hang on a second. Uh, <laughs> um, the author of the first story, uh, what Jane Meyer gets wrong about Al Franken. Yeah. So it's a, it's a counter to what Jane Meyer wrote about um, in Al Franken in the, in the New Yorker. I applaud the first one. I suggest you wipe your ass for the second one. Yeah. And there's plenty of other, what, yeah. what she got wrong. And it's just. <sighs> All right. Yeah. My first is a watch. I'm quite certain many people have not seen it because uh, it's old, like me. Okay. Um, came out when I was 10 years old, and I watched it when I was 10 years old. Star Wars. 1976. Ah, damn. Helter Skelter. Have not watched it. Okay. You, you know, it's, it's about Charlie Manson. It's got actual archival footage. It's, you know, it uses, I mean, a lot of people don't know that Helter Skelter, the song, the Beatles song was written about Charlie Manson and about the Sharon Tate murders and all this kind of stuff, but it's very informative. It's, and it gives you a take. What's interesting about Helter Skelter more than anything else. I thought that Hel- I thought the song inspired him. Oh, maybe that's it. It's something like somehow it's attached, but it's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe that's what it was. It did. Maybe you're right. I think you're actually right. Yeah. I think it did inspire okay. him. Anyway, what's really interesting about the 1976 is that was made before, you know, David Fincher, mm-hmm. and and you know, and sort of our our fascination with serial killers, and yeah. before we really knew how fucking truly nuts this guy was. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's actually really interesting. It, like it's almost like watching a History Channel thing, but it's actually pretty entertaining and very disturbing. Helter okay. Skelter, 1976. My next thing is a watch, uh, and this is as much for me as it is for you, dear listener. Watch Spider-Man Far From Home. Yep. I feel like this movie hasn't gotten, and I'm not as excited about it as I've been for all the other Marvel oh, yeah. movies, because Endgame yeah. was a period. Like, you've got it, we got to ramp back up again. This is the you first shot, movie post-Endgame. You shot the big fucking load, so yeah. it's kind of hard to get your dick hard again. Yeah, like I need a cold shower in a day or two. Yeah, you need a glass of milk and, and some yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, I loved it. I loved Far From you Home. Ha- you have seen great. it? I have. I didn't okay. see it, and I loved it. Okay. Um, yes, I loved it. All right, my second thing is a read. 
It is an article in the L.A. Times. And you will see where I'm going with all this. Mm -hmm. It's an article in the L.A. Times. It's actually very well. It's not too long, but it's actually a really good read. And it's got some good links in it called How Sharon Tate Transfixed Hollywood 50 Years Before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's one of the things that is very interesting to me that um, Sharon Tate is like the uber example of a minimalization, minimalization, reductive victimization of a woman. Because the only reason anybody knows anything about Sharon Tate is that she was murdered by Charlie Manson's uh, family. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. And she was a person. And she was married to Roman Polanski, and she had a burgeoning career, and she was a lovely human being from all, you know, from all, you know, accounts. And she has just sort of been relegated in history as just the famous woman who was pregnant that Charlie Manson's family killed. Right. And I think there should be more to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is actually a good start. So how Sharon Tate transfixed Hollywood 50 years before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Can I read that before I see the movie? Well, you should. you Because you haven't seen the movie yet. Is the movie even out yet? It comes out this weekend. Okay. This, yeah, it came out It came out yesterday yeah. based on this recording. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, my last thing is a, a listen. Uh, it's another podcast. This was recommended to me. I have not listened to it yet. So again, we're doing this together. Uh, it's called It Could Happen Here. And it's about the potential American Civil War. The, like now, like the yeah. the new Civil War Two, basically. So it's some pretty it's heady a podcast. Podcast, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's produced by iHeartRadio. Um, but yeah, it's uh, some, it's, it could happen here. Yeah, it could happen okay. here. I so wanna, I, I, that's one I want to listen to. Yeah. And it's probably going to be really depressing, but I'm sure it's going to be very it. depressing. But <laughs> so is Chernobyl. Um, <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> my third thing, and everybody knows it's my third. Do you mean that the, <laughs> the, the reason? The reason, okay, the, but but not the event itself. The event itself was kind of a blast. So to hey, speak. Yeah. there you Da-da-da-da-da-da. go. Da-da-da-da-da. Good night, Chicago. Yeah, too soon, my friend. Too soon. <laughs> um, my third thing is you obviously know. God, go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Um, God damn it, it's Tarantino. He's only making 10 films. I actually believe he's only going to make 10 films. I actually believe it. No, I actually believe he means it because he's made such a big deal about it. If he doesn't, then everybody knows what a cunt he is. So I know he's got that idea. What a weird thing to to limit yourself to. I think it's brilliant. No, I think it's brilliant. If Michael Caine had said I was only going to make 10 films, we would have never had Jaws 3. So fair enough. with that. Fair enough. You know what I mean? It's like more artists said I'm only going to do 10 and make sure that each one is awesome. See, I think you then just go Scorsese's at it the way that career, Scorsese's career would have so <laughs> many fucking yeah. duds. Yeah, well, you just—I think you approach instead of putting this hard number on it, you do it like Daniel Day Lewis did, which is like you're really selective, and then you get out before your star burns out. Well, that's what he put ten. That's was Tarantino. But what way if of doing it. what if after number ten, you know, ten years after number ten, he's like, oh god, I've got another great idea, and it could be the he next. He produces it. He produces it. He gives a script. He didn't say he wouldn't write any more movies because that's how he actually started in the in the business. He was writing screenplays, yeah. true romance. So, so he's he just not going to direct write. anymore. Oh, for fuck's that's sake! Exactly that what he is said. a he fucking will, gigantic hula hoop no, loophole. That's, that's what he said. I will only direct ten movies. All right. Well, then who fucking so cares? This, 
I don't think it is. But anyway, yeah. once upon a time right. in Hollywood, I think it looks phenomenal. I can't wait to see it. I can't. I mean, I'm as in anticipating it almost as much as I did Endgame. So I'm so thick. I'm fucking excited to see this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Like as yeah. far as guy crushes go, and good actors. They're not just pretty faces. Like yeah, those oh, yeah. dudes well, can act. Tarantino doesn't get hack actors, and it's the last uh, screen performance of Luke Perry. Really? Yeah, he's in it. Oh, that's bittersweet. There you go. Says we ain't dicking around. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. I uh, mean, not anymore. Shot, but yeah. From the shots that I, I've seen of him, he looks like he's about to die. So Jesus it, Christ, it's, it's apt. He does. He <laughs> looks like really super gaunt, and I mean, he looks like oh wow, this guy's. He's not either, long for this he, world. <laughs> either he either he did this for the role, or he's really gonna die. And yeah. sure enough, he really died. So. Ah. Uh, life yeah. imitates art, man. It's the way it works. And yeah. that is the Apecast. That's it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to the Literate Apecast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. <laughs>